You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. So always the... Uh... <laughs> yeah, I know. I better be careful. All right, let's pray and we'll uh, we'll get started. Father, again, thankful for your word, Lord. This is a, again a difficult passage. Uh, it's been difficult for me, um, and I pray, Lord, that I would never go beyond what's written in this, uh, but just uh, share the, the true meaning of the passage. I guess let's leave the rest up to you and as you work through the, the minds and thoughts of your saints. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to kind of give you just an updated plan. Got to update the plan. Uh, I want to continue to go through the qualifications of elders in 1 Timothy 3 and do that today. Hopefully get uh, done with verse 2 today, but I doubt it. So just continue on with that. That will probably take at least another week. And then I want to look at what the Holy Spirit has written concerning the uh, elders in 1 Timothy, the rest of 1 Timothy. Uh, there's stuff in there on examination, recognition, honor, protection, discipline of elders. And then briefly, I hope, look at Titus, the, any, any kind of different emphases that are in Titus related to elders. And then 1 Peter has uh, some stuff that we absolutely have to look at. And then... Fairly briefly, because I don't want to, I don't want this to go on forever and ever and ever. But look at the differences between the roles of elders and deacons, and then the women that are mentioned in First Timothy. So I'm thinking that's probably five or six weeks more beyond beyond today. So that's about 14 weeks, and you know somebody smarter could do it more quickly. But that's how long I'm afraid that's going to take. So hopefully you can uh, stand it for that long. So to just to review last time, we did 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. And we're to esteem very highly, super abundantly, those who diligently labor among us, you remember that, have charge over us and give us instruction. Uh, we also looked at the, just the beginning of 1 Timothy 3, the first verse, about how men aspire and desire the office of overseer. And we looked at that and then thought a little bit about what happens if someone loses their desire to be an overseer. And hopefully you came to maybe some conclusions or something about that. So now I want to go on from here and look at the other qualifications. Before I do that, I want I want to make sure that we understand these are qualifications. And, you know, I work at Lighthouse and you guys have had jobs at different places and you've probably looked at a job posting, right? And nowadays job postings say required qualifications. Da-da-da, they list a bunch of stuff. Right, that you have to have. And then they list desired qualifications. <clears throat> you thought about that? Desired qualifications. Well, are they qualifications or are they not? You look at the desired qualifications, that means we like people better who have these things, but they're really not qualifications. They're, they're things we'd like for, for them to have, for the candidate to have, but they're not qualifications. All right? So... I'm just saying that so we're clear that when we come to the Scripture, these are not desired 
qualifications. These are qualifications. Right? You have them or you're not qualified. Right? It's not a, well, hey, you know, he's got seven out of eight. It's pretty good. That's not how we do it. Okay? It reminds me of when I was in college, between my freshman and sophomore years, I was living with my father-in-law. Well, he wasn't my father-in-law then. But I was living with him, and he was trying to kill me so that I wouldn't marry his daughter. <coughs> this is totally true. He uh, was... <coughs> you could ask him. He'd visit sometimes. He was making me do things like carry around a backpack sprayer. Have you ever done that? Backpack sprayer? Yeah. Not good. I weighed about 145 pounds at the time, same height. So the sprayer was heavier than I was. He had me do roofing jobs. Hang. Evil things. All these things. And so I wanted to get out from under his supervisor hood, whatever it was. And I, so I said, hey, Bill, I see this job here. It says experienced logger. And I said, no, I've never touched a chainsaw. You know that. But you are an experienced logger. Will you take me out and show me that? Chad's saying that he's already, this isn't a wise thing to be doing, right? So I'm thinking just, you know, a couple days with the chainsaw, I'll just, you know, I'll be good to go. And he says, well, <laughs> see, I'm kind of surprised you didn't say, yeah, great idea. Uh, <laughs> he said, well, you know, I'm all for bluffing your way onto a job. I guess he didn't see anything wrong with that. But, this is maybe not one you want to do that with. He says, you can probably get yourself killed. The qualification that you know how to use a chainsaw that you're experienced when you go to be a logger is pretty important because otherwise you probably die or kill somebody. I mean, it's a dangerous job. It's, we've got to think of that same idea here. These qualifications are important. If you don't have those, the, the implications of someone who's unqualified serving as an elder or a deacon uh, are, are very great. So, it's important. The first one, let's go to 1 Timothy 3, 2. And I'm going to say the first one depends on how you count what we talked about last time, having a desire to be an elder. If that's the first qualification, this would be second. It doesn't really matter. An overseer, that is verse 2, must be above reproach. Let's read the whole verse. Overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. So that's the first kind of list of qualifications. So the first thing that's listed there is above reproach or blameless in your King James Version. And often we look at this list and we go, okay, that's the first qualification. And then the second qualification is husband of one wife and then temperate. But in fact, above reproach is an umbrella over the rest of them. Above reproach defines kind of generally what this person must be. The others give us specifics of what above reproach looks like in different different aspects. Okay? Above reproach or blameless. So as we go through these qualifications, we're going to keep that in mind that all of these really mean above reproach in some way. So the word that's translated blameless or above reproach, it actually, it's, a, it's kind of a legal term. It literally means not able to be held, that there is no charge against this person that would allow them to be held reasonably. Okay? That's what it means. There, there's nothing in this in the man's life or his character that cause, could cause a reproach to fall on him, by extension on his church, on the gospel, uh, the church being the pillar and support of the truth, as we looked at last time. Okay? So that's what the term 
literally means. It's not sinless perfection. Okay, if you're looking for perfect people, um, you, you're not going to find them, right? It's not looking for that. But it's saying, is there anything in this man's life that is of such a, a magnitude that it would cause a reproach to fall on the gospel? Okay? Does that make sense? Just an idea? We are talking about qualifications of elders. This is a standard that all of us aspire to, right? We None of us want to have a reproach in our lives that is such that we can't share the gospel with somebody or they immediately go, well, you did this, right? That's what we want to want, and that's what it's talking about, okay? We all have that as a standard to which we would aspire, and, and it's a biblical standard. The difference is here, it does disqualify from an office. There can be a reproach generated sometimes that is, you know, you can repent of and you can move forward. But it still disqualifies. Okay? That reproach is such that you're still disqualified, even though at this point you might be totally right with the Lord, you've repented of this thing and moved forward. You could still be disqualified. Alright? And we'll see that very clearly in the, the next qualification. But I want, to, I want to make that clear because as we go through this, there can really be a tendency as you go through the qualifications here to say, well, what is sin? As long as it's not sin, then that must not be what it's talking about. Well, that's not necessarily true. These are qualifications of elders. These are not just a list of sins. It's, it's, a, it's different than that. It's a set of qualifications that, that result in someone being above reproach. That'll be clear as we go through this. Uh, the first one, and I wish this was not the first one. <laughs> it's, I tell you what, in some ways, I wish it wasn't there at all today, because this is really hard to teach on. It's the husband of one wife, in verse 2. Overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Of course, I'm glad it's in Scripture. I'm just not all that super excited to, to teach it, because it's, you go into it with a little bit of trepidation. People have a lot of ideas built up around this. And so I want to be very clear on what this is. First of all, it's three Greek words. Uh, those three Greek words mean one, woman, or wife, man, or husband. Okay? That's all it means. That's all it says. It's used a few times. It's used in 3.12, 1 Timothy 3.12, for deacons, same phrasing. Um, it's used in Titus 1.6 for elders. And it's used in reverse in 1 Timothy 5.9. That's worth just flipping over to 1 Timothy 5.9. <clears throat> it says, A widow is to be put on the list only if she's not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man. And having been is not really there. It's A widow is to be put on the list only if she's not less than 60 years old, the wife of one man. The wife of one man. So it turns that around. One man, woman. Okay, same three words, but switch the last two. Alright? So we gotta keep that in mind as we go through this. But that's really all there is. So I, I wanna be really clear that there's real difficulty in interpretation here because it, it is just three words and those are the three words you've just heard them. This is not a list of sins again. So when we approach this, we don't think, well, what throughout Scripture is a sin in respect to marriage or remarriage and what isn't, and that must be what this means. That's not necessarily true. 
it could be that the qualification here for elder is not just that he hasn't sinned or isn't currently sinning or hasn't sinned in some way in the past in relation to this. It's that there's no reproach. That's what we have to remember. So what might generate a reproach in this area is what we're looking at. So it might be clear if we go through what it doesn't mean. There's lots of interpretations. Some are just wrong. And so we'll look at those. Elders must be married. That's one interpretation. It says husband of one wife. If you're not married, you're not a husband. So what do you think of that? <laughs> Don't like that. Could you, that, I guess that's the question. There's some that would say, no, in fact, you couldn't be a single man and be an elder. So we have at least one good example for me. Yeah, there's lots of other exceptions. <laughs> yeah, I'll bring those guys into it. Um, turn if if you want a good passage that's kind of related to this. Turn over to First Corinthians seven for a second. Um, we are going to flip around a little bit today. Hopefully, not too much. But First Corinthians seven. Verses 32 through 35. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 32 through 35. says, But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This they say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Okay. So how does that does that relate? I mean, Paul's very clearly, he, he's, he's almost advocating singleness here. And singleness, as he says, singleness is of some benefit. Um, it, it reduces the amount of distractions that a person has in serving the Lord. It's probably a true statement, isn't it? But elsewhere in Scripture, we know that Paul has good things to say about marriage. It's a, it's a, a way to avoid sexual sin. It's important. It's a picture of Christ of the church. Singleness or marriage, neither one is going to bring a reproach in and of itself, is it? If a man is single, there's no reproach in that. There's no possible, reasonable reproach in Scripture for that. See, I knew someone was going to jump in that early. I didn't hear that question yet. Can I say that? We will talk about that. Right. But as far as having to be married, that doesn't seem to fit, does it? Because there can't be a, a reproach reasonably generated against a man because he's single. Right? Remember, that's the standard. If we use similar logic to the logic that gives us that idea, 
we would also say that the man had to have more than at least two children. Man would have to have at least two children. Why? Because the scripture says he must be one who manages his own household while keeping his children under control with all dignity. So he must have to have children. It doesn't make sense. Having children, not having children, doesn't generate a reproach. There's no possibility for a reproach in that, is there? Okay. Now, this is not an interpretation of this passage. It can't be. It's just an observation. Where did the idea of celibacy come from? We, there's absolutely, I mean, if, if anything here, this assumes that a man is married and has children. Because generally, men marry and have children. So it wants to tell us, here's how a man ought to behave in the normal context of being a man, which is being married and having children. So, there's multiple passages here that refute the idea that a man must be celibate in order to be a church leader. Such as, he's a husband of one wife. He manages his children well. Right? So, where does this whole idea come from? I I don't know. Turn to 1 Timothy 4. In fact, you see, there's more than just it not fitting. 1 Timothy 4. I don't know what kind of heading you have for chapter 4 for this uh, part of the passage. My, the he- I, I think the headings are interesting, what, what people choose to put. Uh, the MacArthur Study Bible puts the great apostasy. So this is the apostasy that was going on in Ephesus that Timothy was to fight against. Says, but the Spirit ex- explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own consciences with a branding iron. He doesn't like these people, does he? Not very much. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth. Men who forbid marriage are the apostates that Tim- Timothy is supposed to. Go and correct. So it's not just, uh, well, it doesn't say in Scripture that you have to be celibate. It actually says that if you claim that you have to be celibate, that being celibate gains you some favor with Christ, that that's an apostasy, it's heresy. But, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know where it comes from or how you hold on to it. I have some idea where it comes from, but how you hold on to it, I don't know. Um, Anyway, moving on. Second interpretation. This is a, another one that uh, you're probably not going to like. Husband of one wife, right? One woman man. That means that the man cannot be a polygamist. He can only have one wife at a time. That's what it means. I put little side, uh, little side notes here just to kind of remind me of what the big notes have to say. And I put duh on that one. Isn't that what you think of? Well, duh. He can't have more than one wife. Okay. Probably can't be an atheist either. Is that listed in here? Right? That, that's just, it, it, that would be a qualification with no meaning. A man who has more than one wife, right, is a polygamist, isn't welcome in the church. Right? So, this, this would be a statement without any meaning. And remember... 1 Timothy 5.9 about the widows. It's the same construction. So that would be saying what Paul is instructing Timothy there that those widows must not have more than one husband. Which was unheard of. It just didn't happen. So it's, it's, that doesn't fit. It doesn't make sense. 
that would be saying something that has zero content and just doesn't fit. So it's not that. Uh, here's another interpretation, and we are getting close to your gift. Yeah. I, I think the idea of divorce and remarriage, maybe, but I don't really think polygamy was historically in Ephesus. Um, even if it was, you have to use the same construction for First Timothy 5. So polyandry would have had to have also been prevalent, and it wasn't. So to me, it doesn't fit. Did I just make a really loud noise? Why did? How did I make a really loud noise? I like that. If I could do that at certain times, that would be good. <laughs> Third interpretation. I will give you an answer to that. <laughs> the, the, the question that is in all of our minds when we think of this one woman man is the question of divorce and remarriage. And I, and I will address it. I want to look at these other things that are that are certainly not it, because I think it will clarify what it is. Okay, and and then we'll address that directly. So this there's a, another interpretation that says, and this is a little bit it's close to what you're saying, but it's a little bit stronger. Elders must be married only once. And you could make that argument, couldn't you? One woman man. If that's all you have to go on, one woman man. You could make that argument. But remember the umbrella term, reproach. Okay. If a man is married and his wife dies, he didn't, and he didn't kill her, but she just died, and then he, and he remarries, is there a possibility for reproach to be generated in that? Reasonably. No. Scripture is very clear that marriage is only as long as both shall live, right? Christ taught about that himself. We know that's true. So there's no possibility for reproach in that case. So I don't think that holds water because it, we have to continue to fall under the umbrella of reproach. Okay. So now the fourth interpretation. <laughs> Elders must be merrily and sexually above reproach. That's my interpretation. Is that enough? Do I have to address divorce and remarriage? Right. And that's kind of where I think I'm at on this. And my thinking on this has changed over the last few months as I've studied this and, and tried to completely understand everybody's views on this. Two months ago, I would have somewhat dogmatically said a man who is divorced and remarried is not qualified to be an elder. And I, and I 
you know, I think that I could still be convinced of that. Now I might say that if a man was divorced and remarried, and we look at that man now, and we say of that man that he's a one-woman man, he might be qualified. Here's the truth of the matter, okay? Anybody that I've talked to or any, any, anything that, that I've read, no one's ever encountered a case that I know of, and I'm not saying it's never happened. I'm saying it's very unlikely that you encounter a case where a man is qualified in all the other aspects, all the other things that we'll look at to be an elder, has a desire, all of that, and is disqualified by the fact of a marriage that failed in the distant past. So, for some reason, this does become top of mind for us when we look through this, but it really shouldn't. I mean, that's really not where the rubber meets the road on this qualification. It's more of a man comes and he is not, in in some other way, not a one-woman man. That some other way may be that he has had some issues in the past, other sexual issues or pornography or whatever, things like that that would more disqualify you from being a one-woman man if you're out, you know, fantasizing, doing things like that, that's much more likely to be a disqualification. Is that fair? Does that answer your question? If a man came to us, had a deep abiding desire to to be an elder, was otherwise qualified in all respects, but had a distant, distant distant divorce, I think Jim and Jess and I would have to sit down and talk through that and figure out what happens in that particular case. Tom? No, I'm, there are some disqualifications that are temporary and there are some that are permanent. Uh, what I wanted to make clear at the beginning is that there are some disqualifications, there are some things that can happen that then, even if you repent of them and you walk in, in right relationship, you're still disqualified. Is divorce one of those things? You, you have to get into the whole teaching, which I'm not going to do, on divorce and remarriage and all of that. There may be some cases where a divorce wouldn't necessarily generate a reproach if we knew all the details. Okay? So we've got to be really careful because above reproach is a high standard. If someone's up here and you are struggling to hear their teaching because they were divorced or because of something else, that's an issue. That's something that we really have to consider carefully. Right?
I don't know if they're perfect examples. <laughs> they're good examples. Well, I think you have to be careful. And with the widows, if a widow, if her husband died and she was remarried, obviously she's not on the list. So there's no, because her husband would be supporting. So you got to, you know, I, again, I think you're exactly where I, I was. I'm just not exactly there anymore. And there's, you know, there's great Bible teachers on both sides of that argument. I think we've, you know, we've probably spent too much ink on that argument. Um, MacArthur is a, he would have a divorced man be an elder. Is he right? I, I can't tell you. Jim? Okay. No, and, and in particular, I mean, what we're looking for is a husband or one wife, a one woman man. If a man has been divorced multiple times, he's shown by his history that he is not a one woman man. You can't make the argument that, well, I had one. Divorced under specific circumstances 20 years ago. I was unsaved. I'm saved now. I'm a new creature. I've been married to this woman for 15 years. I'm a one-woman man. You can't make that argument if you've had, I don't think, if you've had multiple divorces. So again, I think we have to ultimately approach this with the, the fullness of Scripture and the situation as it's presented. Yeah, that's another, and we're going to talk about that as we go through these two. I am not a respectable person in the sense of I've never done anything that's not respectable. You know, this is again, is there a reproach that is, is there something that is of such a level that it's a reproach that cannot be cannot be cleared? That cannot. It's a it's a charge, as Brian was talking about. It's a it's an accusation that is true or that is at least reasonable. Yeah, again, you have to be careful because, yeah, you have to be a one-woman man. How do I know you're a one-woman man? I can't look at last week? Well, of course, I, you know, I have to. I have to look at the pattern of your life to determine if you're a one-woman man. You can come to me and say, I got divorced yesterday, but you know, from now on, you know, or I had an adulterous relationship yesterday. And we're, we're going to have to look at this again when you get to manage his own household well, right? Because divorce, there's an implication there that at least... At some point, he didn't manage his own house. Well. One of the things I meant to. Okay. A man who's been involved in, in adultery, fornication, pornography. I would even say someone who has a pattern of fantasizing inappropriately. 
whatever. If, if there's that sort of a reproach, that's a reasonable, true reproach against that man, he's disqualified. Now, I want to address one question that comes up. And part of the reason why we, you know, if our standard was that anyone who's ever been divorced could not be an elder, and the standard is that if a man's been you know, divorced multiple times, we would have to say, no, he's not an elder, he can't manage his own household well, or, or something along those lines. It is possible that a reproach is generated or a disqualification is created through no fault of the man of the prospective elder. That is very possible. If his children don't believe, as we'll look at in Titus, for instance, well, that's, that's, you can't, you know, you can't put that on the man that he didn't do something right. There are occasions when a man's household will be in disorder through no fault of his own; he didn't do anything to cause it, but yet it is, and so he's disqualified. Okay. We back off from those because that sounds unfair, right? Okay. Unfair is something I don't even like. Because unfair is childish. Is God unfair? If fair is good, then God is fair. God is all good things. He defines all good things. If you see something in the Word and you say to yourself, that's unfair, you're wrong. Either it is fair or your whole notion of what is fair is wrong. Either you misinterpreted it or you're just wrong about what's fair. I want to give you an example. Turn back to Leviticus. You didn't think you took, looked in Leviticus today, did you? You hoped you wouldn't look in Leviticus today. But you are looking in Leviticus today. Leviticus 21. Uh, Leviticus 21, 16 through 24. Leviticus 21, 16-24. Really interesting little passage. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, No man of your offspring throughout their generations who has a defect shall approach to offer the food of his God. For no one who has a defect shall approach a blind man or a lame man or he who has a disfigured face or any deformed limb or a man who has a broken foot or broken hand or a hunchback or a dwarf or one who has a defect in his eye or eczema or scabs or crushed testicles. No man among the descendants of Aaron, the priest who has a defect, is to come near to offer the Lord's offerings by fire. Since he has a defect, he shall not come near to offer the food of his God. He may eat the food of his God, both of the most holy and of the holy, only he shall not go into the veil or come near the altar because he has a defect, so that he will not profane my sanctuary. For I am the Lord who sanctifies them. So Moses spoke to Aaron and to his sons and to all the sons of Israel. Well, that doesn't seem fair, huh? Doesn't seem fair. First of all, why why did the man have to be without defect? Or what? Remember what he's symbolizing. He's symbolizing the high priest, right? The our high priest. He's symbolizing Christ. The offering also symbolizes Christ. So both the offering and the man who offers it had to be without defect, right? To symbolize Christ. So that's why, and that makes perfect sense to us. But is it fair that a man who's a dwarf? It's not his fault he's a dwarf. Yeah, God created him that way. God must be unfair, right? Boy, we don't want to say that. 
doesn't the potter have the right over the clay to say whatever he wants to say and do whatever he wants to do? Absolutely. If God says it, it's fair. If He crushes me with cancer today, it's fair because it's from God. God is fair. No, it's not this man's fault. But what's being taken away from this man, this dwarf? I actually had in my notes, the dwarf is no less a man than a... And I thought, well, by definition, what I mean is he's by no less a man in terms of his spirituality, his stature with God, his purity, his holiness. Right? So, but he can't, he can't go and do the offering. Maybe he wants to do the offering. Well, he's not called to do the offering. He, that's not the role that God has given him. He's no less than the other man, except for, you know, the physical thing. He's no less than the other man because of this, right? Now, we, we, we go right over the, okay, one woman man, and we'll talk about the, the fact that women can't be elders. We'll talk about that more detail later. But from one woman man, an elder must be a one woman man, by definition, a one woman man is not a woman. There's really no way around that. Are women less than men in Christ? No. I mean, that's clear to us. Nothing's being taken away from someone who is disqualified. What's being, what we're saying is such a person is not called to the work of an overseer. Doesn't have the calling, doesn't have the, the burden. This is not a right that anybody has to be an elder. It's also not a privilege that anybody has. It's not a gift. It's not a favor. It's a calling. It's a burden. It's a work. We have to keep that in mind. As soon as we think that, oh, this is, this is insulting to me because I'm disqualified, something that I didn't have anything to do with, and I want that, you're disqualified anyway. Right? You have the wrong attitude. Okay? Yeah, in that sense, I don't want God to be fair. If that's what fairness means, right? I appreciate His mercy and His grace. So, just understand, in the sense of qualification, God determines them, we live by them. A man who is disqualified, if we read it right, a man who is disqualified or a woman is not called to eldership. Now, they may feel like they're called to eldership, but and I'm sorry about that, but they're not. Good. <laughs> Absolutely right. It's idolatry, isn't it? So this is total side issue. Uh, I got five minutes here. Okay, total side issue. Sovereignty in election. Sovereignty in salvation. Election, right? One of the primary objections people have to the doctrine of election is that's not fair. <laughs> it's the same thing. That that's that's childish. What does the scripture say about it? 
That's the truth. And God is fair. To Ron's point, same thing as here. Well, actually, it's totally different. Ron's point, what we all deserve is eternal torment in hell. We've sinned against God. We don't meet His standards. But in His grace, He chooses some to be holy and blameless. Praise the Lord. Not, well, you didn't choose them too. Right? That's, they're, they're getting what they want. They're getting what they want. They don't want to be under the thumb of God. They don't want to do what God says. You read Revelation, you see this. People shaking their fist at God, even as they acknowledge that He's the one that's doing this. It's His judgment. And yet, they, how dare you do this? How dare you judge me? Right? So, God is fair in election. He's fair in this, but it's not that He's giving a grace to those who are elders. I mean, it is a grace in some ways, but He's not giving a favor, a benefit to some and not to others. He's calling some to one role, others to another role. Ephesians chapter, well, no, Galatians 3. Let's do Galatians 3. There's two great passages that I could do, and I'm just running out of time. Galatians 3, verses 26 through 28. One group of people that we know is disqualified from eldership and deacons is women. Does that mean women are less than men? No, oh, no, we've established that, okay? This is what Scripture says about that. Galatians 3, 26-28. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If there's neither male nor female, we're all one in Christ Jesus. That is, spiritual status, favor with God, we're all the same in Christ, then clearly no one's better because they're an elder or a deacon or a whatever. Right? We're all just sons of God. Does that make sense? Yeah. You see that, that that sometimes really can bother us when we hear that we are sexist because we don't allow women to be Elders and deacons. Sexist. I, mean, I don't even know where that comes from. Men and women are equal, totally equal in Christ. We just have different roles. We're called to different things. Right? Husbands are not wives and wives are not husbands. We're called to different things. That's it. Things come to mind that I don't. I probably shouldn't say. Um, anyway, okay. She has this tendency to do that to me. Have you noticed that? <laughs> Two weeks in a row. Um, so I will use just quickly uh, one little uh, example that I have of how this the uh, one woman man thing can be misapplied. I, I had a, a, a deacon at a church that I went to years ago in Seattle, a wonderful man, and his wife passed away. And he said, I don't think I'm qualified to be a deacon anymore. You know why he wasn't qualified to be a deacon anymore in his mind? 
No, he didn't want to remarry. It's the farthest thing from his mind at the time. But he was no longer a husband. Okay. So we got to just. There's a lot of misunderstanding about husband of one wife, one woman man. And I, I don't dream that I've cleared that up. There's, there's lots of stuff that's written. If that is, a, you know, something that's a burning issue for you, there's a lot that's written. There's a lot that you can study in Scripture to kind of get a much better handle on it, and we're able to give it in and out. All right. Uh, next time we'll just keep going on in the qualifications. As you can see, we got through the first specific qualification. So that six weeks can be a little longer. <sighs> Okay, let's pray and we'll get ready for the next thing. Father, we are again thankful for your word. We, we want to understand all the fullness of it. And we never want to go beyond what is written. And uh, Lord, this is a passage that you've given us. It's a challenge to us. Uh, I love that you do that. You, you're such a great God. Your word is, uh, is, is really in some ways above us. And it is a, challenge, a lifelong challenge and, and a, I think an eternal challenge to really uh, understand everything that you would have us to learn from it. And I, I just am so grateful and thankful for you, for your word, for your character. And pray, Lord, as we go through this, that we would uh, just always understand that this word is your word, and we just want to understand it uh, as you have intended it to be understood. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.